Hello and welcome to the Spoon Carving Conversations podcast, where I talk to spoon carvers from around the world about how and why they carve spoons. I'm Simon Pooley, and in this episode I talk to Riley and Oliver Klodzik, two full-time makers that have a wide variety of experience working with green wood and other natural materials. After discovering and delving headfirst into green woodworking, they've spent the last years traveling, teaching, and sharing their passion for the craft. We talked about how they got started, how it is to teach in different countries, and the joys and struggles of living in a van and making a living doing what you love. This year, they continue to offer workshops and are preparing for the annual Von Hund Festival in Germany. It was really fun talking to them both, and I hope you enjoy listening. If you do enjoy these podcasts and want to support them to continue, you can do that by buying one of my Endless Possibilities spoon carving t-shirts from the link in my bio. Thanks very much. Happy listening. Hi, Riley and Oliver. Thank you for joining me and having a chat today. Um, Oliver, I just found out, is in Germany now, and Riley is in California, which I knew. Um, and this is the first time doing a, a podcast with uh, more guests, so it'll be quite a quite a challenge, or it'll be quite interesting for me to see how it is anyway. But I think it's uh, as always cool to to try something new. So I was up for it when the when the idea came up. Um, first of all, I would like to ask uh, maybe Riley, like just what you've kind of been up to recently. Um, we met. You actually stayed at my uh, at my place, both of you. And um, so we met and then I had the idea to yeah, talk to you. I've been following you for a while on Instagram and yeah, I haven't been so much what you've been up to uh, lately. I don't know. So maybe you could just start by that if you've been doing any interesting stuff, what's been happening in the world of crafting, making, traveling, teaching, all the stuff you've been, you've been doing. Yeah. Um, so my name is Raleigh and... Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm currently in California. I just got back here. This is where I'm from, uh, three weeks ago. Um, but I usually live and travel full-time with Oliver, my husband. And most recently we've been, we've just gotten back from five months traveling to Southern Europe. Uh, we went to Italy and France and Spain and taught workshops along the way, which was, a, it was a really fun experience, um, filled with beauty and challenges <laughs> of reaching local communities. Uh, one of, I, I'd say the, one of the biggest highlights was just the last place that we taught in France, um, where we were able to work with a collective of woodworkers of different fields, uh, none of which who had done pole lathe turning, a few who had done spoon carving and, they they all showed up in full it was our most packed class but also felt like we were completely in the middle of nowhere in the mountains it was a really really fulfilling experience to put something together like that in a place where we don't know people or we don't speak the language and yet people are completely on board and ready to jump in that was definitely um, a highlight of the winter of our first season um first second season of you know traveling full-time and trying to teach and make along the way so that's I'd say since we left you it was uh kind of just the beginning of that we had just started traveling full-time and came through and saw you but that's that's where we are now in the most recent events yeah 
Oh, cool. Yeah, awesome. That sounds uh, like a nice time. And did you, um, yeah, so where were you, France, uh, Italy, and Spain? And those people that came, were they already kind of involved in making stuff, you said? They had some experience. They weren't just people trying it for the first time. Is that right? They were kind of already involved in the scene? For the most part at every workshop, I mean, and I find this in general, almost at every workshop that we teach, like 80 to 90% of people that show up to spoon carving or bowl turning or broom making are some kind of maker or crafter somewhere else in their life. And it's usually an expansion um, either of their skills or just an exploration to try something different. And every so often someone shows up with like, I saw it and I wanted to do it and I've never done anything like this before. Uh, but usually the people hosting us are um, either professional makers themselves. Um, and so their network of people that they're reaching or their followers are also already attuned to a bit of the craft world. Uh, so yeah, I'd say mostly it's reaching people that are already into it. And it's always exciting when we, meet someone who's like I've never done anything <laughs> ever mm-hmm. or I did some knitting when I was eight years old in school or something like that <laughs> yeah yeah cool so uh yeah so you haven't kind of you get enough of them you haven't kind of dedicated to consciously done it to experience people and beginners would you ever think about doing that to kind of separate and make uh an introduction to spoon carving course. Do you think there'd be enough people you could, you could like attract by doing that? Um, well, actually the workshops we teach are all pr- almost a hundred percent introductory outside of the festival. Um, so even though they have other making experience, they usually haven't carved spoons or turned bowls on a pole. Lathe. So they're all mm-hmm. most of the time brand new to that, but have some kind of experience of, working with their hands. Otherwise I would actually really love to be able to weave in more intermediate advanced workshops with people that already know something, but that actually feels harder to fill and harder to reach in these crafts. Mm-hmm. Oh, but cool that you've, yeah, that you still are able to, yeah, like make these workshops. I saw you recently posted on Instagram more dates. So you have more workshops planned ahead of time. And yeah, you're obviously able to yeah find the right people and connect with them. I guess that's a powerful way to do it, to already connect with someone with their own audience and their own community somehow, right? And they kind of help you with the advertising and reaching these people. Yeah, that's really, that's the, the best way and the most... Uh... Yeah, it's the most successful when somebody comes around to, um, one, they're really excited about doing the things that were offered. So just their excitement in itself kind of draws other people in, but that they're already some kind of uh, like anchor in their community, whether their community is related to craft or not. If it's somebody who definitely has a tie to a community that likes to gather or even just Mm -hmm. come together things, those are the spaces where um like the most excited participants show up and it feels uh it feels less like you're really trying to like reach the outskirts and like find people it's mm-hmm. those are really effortless and that always 
I have to say those are the the spaces that fill our batteries the most because a lot of other spaces, so many people are so excited and really interested in learning the things that we teach, but uh, it's really hard to get them to show up to a workshop. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, cool. And I was wondering after like traveling through these places and teaching in different places, I don't know if the people coming in Italy are Italians and the people in France are French. Is it like this or are the people already kind of, they have done some traveling and it's a mixed bunch. If they are all Italians in Italy, like have you seen any kind of, is there a difference between the people without like stereotyping them too much? Is there like, do, do, the, do the French people have sort of maybe a different mentality or appreciation? Have you seen that or was it everyone's just kind of mixed and you had a different group of people everywhere? Um, I feel like the similar, their people are more similar than different in every place. Almost every country is mm-hmm. like, oh, it's just because they're Italian that they're running late or that they have this experience. Oh, it's just because they're French or just because they're Spanish. And I'm like, people say that <laughs> in every Benin from Sweden, California, Germany. It's all, they always want to blame the culture for <laughs> something heard it before it's actually not just you (laughs) um so i I find that people are more similar than different uh and i wouldn't say the difference are typically highlighted by the culture that that shows up more in just kind of the average conversation than anything to do with the specific craft Mm -hmm. i'm curious if oliver has a different experience of that but no i would i would completely agree with that yeah i mean yes yeah they're like of course in in italy they're just italians coming and Mm -hmm. it's 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 very interesting especially when they don't speak your language and you like show them things and it's it still works like even i mean you don't speak the language but you can still show them and then yeah they are still able to do it and in the end of the day they still go home with a bowl and it's the same excitement so it's yeah so uh, strong connection I would say mm-hmm. yeah that's true you really yeah. can teach a lot of that like the crafting stuff you're doing by no if you see it, it you understand it right so without speaking the language or no is that is that true to say or does sometimes mm-hmm. the language is it sometimes missing when you're teaching well I mean of course there are some challenges but it's also what we like what we say on on the festival site so don't be worried if you don't speak the language. You you will see what we're doing, and it's so much of the learning process is seeing mm-hmm. what they do or what we do, and like learning from each other. Like you can always look to the ne- next person and, and say, "Oh, this is how you do it." Like if they don't understand what we said, so it's, mm-hmm. of course, yeah. When we explain things, that can be hard sometimes, but it's. It's also fun, kind of, and like playful. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that uh, the language barrier is almost equivalent when you speak the same language as when you don't, because the craft yeah. itself is a new language, and they're doing something like they're having to see something, understand it in their brain and in their body, and so there's. I mean, you probably find this with movement too. Is it's like you can explain something with words or show them or try and get them to feel it. And so like the actual use of 
language, most of the time, it feels like just as much of a barrier when I speak the same language with people because they're like, yeah. <laughs> like uh, and I, and also I think sometimes when people speak a different language, they're, they're paying attention with more senses than when you speak the same language. They're really re- like, they're relying more heavily on understanding your words. Mm-hmm. Even though once they try to do it physically, it doesn't make sense. Whereas when someone doesn't understand everything you're saying, they're paying more attention to what your body's doing and how it's moving and uh, the sound of things, because that's also super key, especially with like turning or something. But in all the crafts, there's some element of hearing what it should Uh sound like. So I think it's, it's so much less of a barrier than I was originally worried about. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, with the sound. Yeah, I haven't <laughs> thought about that, but yeah. And maybe now like you could, I could, or when you're teaching someone, if they're not, like pay attention to the sound. Maybe that's another thing. You're using the words, but to try and like uh get them to use the sense more. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's definitely happening. Like in like during a class when we hear a weird sound or like a scratching or scraping sound yeah. of the hook tool on the bowl we like sometimes we yell all the places like, hey no that's not right it's like, Stop. it sounds horrible stop that yeah so. uh-huh oh, that's a good idea mm. what um and i was wondering i wanted to ask the question maybe for oliver i know you kind of changed what you're doing uh we talked a bit when you were here maybe you can say a little bit how you changed but my question would more be now that you're doing this the last uh the last few years like when people say ah what do you do for a living mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what what do you say what do you well right now i'm just saying i'm a woodworker or a craftsperson artist and teacher mm-hmm. so this is how i uh, would describe myself now and yeah until last year Last last summer, I still said I'm a nurse, or I'm a nurse and a woodworker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, this was kind of my interesting career. Um, I was a nurse for more than 10 years. Actually, more, almost 15 years, I think. Um, but like from quite from the very beginning, I like felt, okay, something is, there's something I don't want with this job. Or it's like not my, it's not my passion, so it's not really fulfilling for me. Mm-hmm. So, and so I found woodwork, like working, working with my hands and like doing things, creating things. And that was about four years ago. And I started this journey and it was the best thing ever mm-hmm. <laughs> for me. Like, um, because it was so so different to my work in a hospital, like to find find something really really interesting for me and like fulfilling and working with an organic material and shaping yeah like I said shaping creating mm-hmm. and yeah making things and yeah and so uh, I did that. Like first as a hobby, but like it was quite clear for me from the beginning that this is not just a hobby. There's there's more behind that, and so it 
there came like a few classes and festivals and gatherings and meeting people and connecting to people and then yeah uh, and finally last summer i quit completely most people now ask is this because of COVID? Do you don't want to work in hospitals because of COVID? And ah, yeah. said, no, no, not really. I mean, it's, yeah, it, it was, it was uh, always hard to work in hospitals, like, yeah, COVID or not. But this was not the reason, not the main reason. Like, we came, we just came to a point where we said, like, why, why don't we just stop this and do just craft and art? And yeah, here we are. Yeah, yeah. And but before that stage, were you doing some sort of creative stuff? Like while you're working as a nurse, or was that really not a part of your life? Maybe you didn't have time or, or at other stages in your life, did you ever have something like this, like a, making something a creative outlet? Yeah, there was some, like I made some uh, music with my band or a few bands but this was more like te a teenager thing <laughs> mm -hmm. and until my early 20s and then i kind of stopped that because it wasn't really my thing anymore and then um i kind of discovered like we lived in a small house i discovered my love to trees and to nature and like uh, very simple just making firewood and chopping firewood like my first contact with wood was making firewood actually yeah. and then there came this desire to make something out of this wood not just a wood stack so yeah i could actually do something with it and like started building like small boxes and like joinery things and i had a few a few projects or like i wanted to make a, a bow bow and arrow and those were all nice things, but it was never really catching me somehow. So there was something out there I was looking for. And then, yeah, I found it in green woodwork. Mm -hmm. yeah. And how was the initial like idea? I always think, how does this happen? Some people I've spoken to like saw someone else doing it at a fair, but like, how does this initial idea to carve a spoon from wood? Like it's still a random thing to suddenly have the idea to do. How was that? How was it or how how, how like I how found it? How did you find it? Yeah. Oh, it was uh, with a book from Mike Abbott, actually. But why so. did you have a book about stone cutting that's so <laughs> random? <laughs> yeah, so I um, uh, once I came uh, uh, to the idea, I, I want to I wanna actually fell a tree with an axe and not just with a chainsaw. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh -huh. <laughs> it was a strong desire <laughs> so so uh, uh, in a uh, i found an online shop where i found my axe and in the book section i just browsed the book section and like found this book by mike abbott about greenwood growth and i thought wow this is really this is really interesting because like on the on the cover is like he stands in the woods uh, on the pole lathe and like around all the things he he made in the woods with his uh, primitive techniques and I thought, wow this is amazing so and like i find this is like this is great you don't have to buy like expensive dried wood or like you don't have to cut your trees and like process the wood and 
tried for a long time. You go into Woodsfeller tree and start working. Perfect. Mm-hmm. So this was so so interesting for me. And so I got this book and read it and built built my lathe, built a shape forest, built all the things and tried all the techniques and yeah, just started doing it. And yeah, it's the best thing I've ever done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you kind of where once you could imagine it by seeing this image, once you could imagine it, you kind of yeah, jumped in. And I think with Riley, I think it was something similar, like I read somewhere in one of your posts. I'm not sure, completely sure of the timeline when it was, but you started with an apprenticeship, I think, and learning from an experienced person early on and started making like chairs and bowls and quite compared to just a spoon, elaborate stuff, right? You kind of jumped into it too. Um, well, I would say that I've I've been making or crafting my whole life. It's definitely the most consistent thing. Um, like I started knitting and crocheting and doing... Uh, needlepoint work when I was like six or seven and then I went to Waldorf school from age 11 and up so I've been uh-huh. like really hands forever and I actually I started with a fireside dry piece of wood saw somebody carving a spoon I was like oh that's really cool I want to do that he's like well go grab a piece of wood and here's a bushcraft knife and no axe no, like the tools were not sharp I did a coal burned bowl the spoon cracked I fixed it with pitch glue like it was the polar opposite uh, or maybe not the polar opposite but definitely very different than what I do now and that was into like my passion for woodwork I'd done little bits of woodwork in school before that but that was the initial start to what led me to green woodwork which really expanded because of Instagram like I I don't actually remember how I came across professional spoon carvers but after carving that spoon um i quickly came across adam hawker and jojo wood and anna casserly and owen thomas all the people in england <laughs> yeah. and um i was actually in um a i was in an interview process with a nature school in new zealand and it was the second interview that was basically going to determine whether or not i was hired and in the interview, the last question he asked me was, if you don't take this job, what else would you do? And I was like, you know what? I've really like, I've been making for so many years. I've worked in jewelry. I've done so many of this, um, so many different crafts, but I really want to explore woodwork. Like I want to, I want to be a professional spoon carver. And I got off the phone and it was like, my brain just like exploded. And I was like, I don't want that job. (laughs) (laughs) I think one of the best questions that anybody should ask in an interview as the interviewee of like in a job interview. And I think that day I, I went, <clears throat> I went to some website. It what it was, or maybe a few websites like Spoonfest. Maybe I came across the association of pole turners and some other things. And I mass emailed like 20 different woodworkers in the UK. Um, of which all of those names I mentioned, I think were in there. I didn't know half of them. I think I even emailed Mike Abbott, but didn't realize that I ever emailed him. Yeah. I wonder if I, <laughs> and I don't, and I've met so many of these people now. I don't even think they realize that I emailed them because I messaged them like sharing 
some of my story and saying like, I will come chop your wood and carry water, sweep your floor. Like I just want to be in the environment and learn something. And I heard back from Will St. Clair at Brookhouse Woods, which is actually uh, the place where Mike Abbott wrote the books that Oliver got into. So I was staying in that place for three months and we met at the Bodgers ball and he came over a few weeks after we met to visit me and got there and was like, wait, I've seen this place before. (laughs) So I just love, like, I feel like uh, in green woodworking, all, all ropes lead to Mike Abbott in some way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But that's, so I did, yeah, there is where I did do some chair making and um, I was in the environment with Yoav, um, but I actually didn't start turning bowls until after I left and then just completely fell in love with it. So uh, my, my path through green woodwork has been this kind of spirally path, but now I feel like I'm at the top where I'm just circling between mm-hmm. carving and bowl turning and really wanting to add chair making back in, but yeah mm-hmm. oh wow that's super interesting yeah how the kind of stories stories crossed over there but it yeah it seems like even with that first kind of spoon which you talked about which, which was like super rough yeah that you already like this is what I kind of want to do after you got this <laughs> question huh that you were really <laughs> something was definitely like pulling you towards that because I it's funny, I spoke to, well, someone wrote me that they like, oh, I wanted to do it. They had seen some of my spoons and maybe like scrolled Instagram and thought this is a cool thing. But she's like, oh, I've carved now a few spoons, but just not like into it somehow. And I was like, yeah, you know, she's not. And she kind of imagined somehow this would be a really, would be a really great thing to do. But she said, yeah, she wasn't kind of happy with her spoon and more frustrated, more kind of negative things than positive. And yeah, I don't know. I didn't know kind of advice to give her like, ah, oh, just keep going because I think you wrote somewhere too, like your first hundred spoons will be crappy spoons. So if you want to do it, push through. But my kind of train of thought is like, ah, if it's not fun, find something else. Like that's kind of my mentality with trying new things. Um, but yeah. you didn't have this problem, huh? Even with your like spoon, you felt still I want to do it again and I think it really depends on your um it depends on each individual's background and also their personal Mm -hmm. relationship with their expectations of themselves Mm -hmm. because find particularly in adults is if they try something new most people go into it expecting it to be easier than it is Mm -hmm. or having expectations that they need to reach a certain quality early on. And especially if they've seen and can recognize the quality of something, then they're much more judgmental of themselves and their process. But I like people that are makers in general, that still may have a high um, expectations for themselves. They're maybe used to having, like, they know that they have to learn mm-hmm. steps. So I do feel like having had a background of making lots of different things, I, um, my, yeah, my like self judgment, like I look back on that spoon and it's not a great spoon, <laughs> but, um, I, I also had no context for a spoon, like making it then mm-hmm. I had, one made nice like okay I need like something that is 
something to hold with a scoopy part on the end. Um, Though I was not comparing initially, definitely was not comparing to any standard of a well-made spoon, but I mean, I, I, yeah, I meet people across the spectrum. Some people really need the encouragement to just keep going or to actually seek out some education or shared experiences, whether it's like rise up and carve, or if it's a workshop, because everybody's going to share, you know, their own, their own way of teaching and also their own love for it in a way that I think can spark something in somebody to mm-hmm. keep bring it. Um, yeah. Cause some people, especially when you're self-educated and it's something that's new to you, they might assume that they just can't get something versus realizing that there's a slight tweak that they can make in their body that actually makes it much easier and co- more comfortable and more enjoyable. <laughs> mm. And that's yeah. probably where like learning from someone else can definitely could help, right? To like have the people say, yeah, it's normal. It's da da da. And with the technical um, like tips, that'll probably make a big difference, right? So maybe yeah. that is where learning from self rather than just making the same kind of mistakes and getting frustrated and stopping uh, could be an idea for people starting into it. Yeah, to seek some sort of mentor or some sort of guidance. How was your. Um, how did you deal with that, Oliver, like making your first things and then kind of comparing it to other people? Were you harsh on yourself and like, ah, I can't do this? Or did, were you just naturally good at it and <laughs> everything worked out great? Or how was that in the start? No, not at all. Like, um, well, yeah, like I said, I found this this book and like built my life. And this was a, a quite a process as well, because like I actually cut uh, my own boards for the lathe out of a tree and let them dry so i needed to wait about half a year to build my lathe and then it was still a little wet so it still shrunk but anyways like i uh, turned my first bowl finally and like started way too big way too big uh bowl blank and yeah like right now uh, like i always take my first bowl to our classes to show people Look, this is what you can expect. <laughs> so, how your first bowl might look like. Maybe it looks better than this, but uh, it will not look like the stuff we we sell over there on our table. Um, but um, for me, it was it was clear. Yeah, I want to do this again. Like I I built this lever. I had I already had a passion for it, and I um, I didn't care if the first one was shit, <laughs> really. So. I thought, yeah, okay, well, maybe it works with a different wood or with a different technique. And um, the the thing was, there wasn't really much out there when I started. So there was um, there were a few videos of um, uh, of Robin Wood on on YouTube where you can't really see what he's doing. And there was a another one from from Ben Offord, which was also quite shitty and not good quality and he explained it better but like it was still eh, i don't know it was a lot like learning by doing and there weren't like in in germany you couldn't really find people who do pole life turning other than um and then i reached out in northern germany and next to uh, lüneburg to michael schütte um and he he does polyleaf turning and other greenwood classes. 
And so, yeah, I contacted him and went up to his place and uh, did a class with him. And so this was my first connection to uh, other Greenwood workers. And yeah, then I could like improve my skills a little bit. Mm -hmm. But it's mostly it's mostly like doing it over and over again. And if you like you you feel it so if i mean we we have a lot of people who who come to classes and say oh yeah i want to do this this and this i want to do everything and then they start doing something and they're so like you said so frustrated that they say, oh no i never touch <laughs> anything again so it's so too frustrating so yeah another experience many people giving up <laughs> Well, I had a lot of people, like especially on the pole lathe, because there's so much going on on the pole lathe. So you really need to focus and concentrate, and it's also quite exhausting when you do it the first time. And if if you're not used to it, yeah, sometimes it's it's quite challenging sometimes for people. Yeah, maybe maybe people are maybe I think particularly with the pole lathe, or even I mean, kind of any of these particular greenwood crafts is there's a high interest to explore it but the interest of people that actually want to then get the tools and keep going is probably lower than maybe the entry into um less physically demanding crafts mm -hmm. so well like i think it's it's easy for us to us, I say, even all three of us, it's easy to make spoon carving look easy when you've done practice with it. It's like, you're like, oh, it's like you're cutting through butter or food, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or spoons, and they do it. And we're definitely super encouraging to people, but a lot of people are like, I'm really happy with my singular spoon or bowl. <laughs> <laughs> that, that'll do nice. That'll be on the mentalpiece. And I'll always think back fondly to the top. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they but don't I, have that. I want to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people that, um, and I'm not just trying to bridge into this, but a lot of people that may be intimidated to really jump in with all the tools and get started following a workshop. I find a lot of people are really excited about the festival because it's more of like, a, it's the community environment that they're curious to explore or see it all together happening at once that it may actually feel less daunting than than having to go home and do it themselves and so I feel like there's people we've had in workshops that between the workshop and you know if they come to the festival they may not have done any more carving but they're excited to come back and still explore it but uh it's there's there's not very many people that really hit the ground running with these crabs like when you teach so many people, you kind of see the perspective is mm -hmm. uh, most of those people are pretty obvious right away. They're the ones who are like, do you have tools to sell me right now? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Or they're like on the lunch break and they're like, I've already <laughs> tools and they're come to my house. And, uh, and which is always really exciting. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's definitely a, a, like a difference. Um, if you, if you want to do, if you want to turn bowls or carve spoons, because spoon carving is so much more accessible, you need just a few tools and a few hundred euros maybe. Um, but for a pole, if you like, you have to put a lot of effort in like building one or today I shipped uh, my first, I sold my first pole, which was quite hard. 
<laughs> but yeah, it's not it's not really a thing. Like nobody like builds lathes. I, I don't I don't think so. I don't think anybody builds them. You can do classes in building. Uh, them, is that now a service? Maybe you'll. <laughs> is that just something you you can do we, now? Uh, yeah, or what? I we, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you. Yeah. We've, like I, I spent I spent two hours today packing the lace and bring it to the post office. It was so exhausting and quite. I mean, of course you get used to it, but I mean, if you if you have the tools and the um and everything to to make them, yeah, why not? It's not really something I'm aiming for right now, but I mean, sure, if you have some time left <laughs> to mm-hmm. do it, sure. <laughs> that are doing them like around the festival, like before, Mm -hmm. like we're, I don't think we're not going to be accomplishing this this year, but in future years, um, as more people in mainland Europe are interested in pole lathe turning, it definitely makes more sense. But around something like the festival, it's, um, it's much easier to make like 10 lathes at the same time, like five Mm -hmm. to 20 same time between the two of us you know we can do that and it's just much more sense to do it in kind of a system like that than to build a lace as people might want them and so if we make them around the festival and then can use them at the festival and people can buy them and take them home is kind of what makes the most sense but usually if you want to get into pole lathe bowl turning like you really want to you're also going to build the lathe it yeah kind of makes yeah. Yeah, it just makes sense. Yeah. To also to to understand every part and like what it's for. And uh-huh. So you think yeah, you would get a lot from yeah, the building process yeah. itself, huh? Yeah. yeah. Maybe I mean, the enjoyment too of like the pride of building your own polate that's so now you've that's making something pretty cool in itself to make other things, right? Definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. Building a machine that works, it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I really want to try it, but yeah, for me, what's keeping me back is I live in a small apartment. I'm not sure if it would be um realistic to like take it outside and build it up and do it there and then take it down again. Was that is that realistic or does it take too long to set up and short? I mean I mean, oh, you, 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 have a, you have a balcony, right? Tell yeah, a, balcony. a little balcony. I don't know <laughs> if I can claim the whole balcony with the pole lathes. If you think of us, we live in a van, so we're putting up and taking down our lathes at every different place that we stay, which we change, but or not every place that we stay, but sometimes we set up the lathe for one day or three days or two weeks, but it's, mm-hmm. we're doing it out of a van. We don't even have a small apartment. <laughs> True. I can't, I don't have an excuse. <laughs> and so right. like, how long does it take to set up the lathe and to take it down again? Or oh, just one, maybe 10 minutes. Oh, wow. Okay. I thought it was much, lo- would have been much longer. Okay. Maybe even less sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that is pretty yeah. straightforward once you've yeah got everything built I mean, and know it, it, how it all Symbols. It probably it probably takes more time to carry it out of the apartment downstairs <laughs> <laughs> somewhere in the park. <laughs> yeah, that uh, takes well, more time than setting it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And for me, also, like, yeah, to build it myself, I'm not sure how much, uh, how many tools and things are involved. I mean, for me, in my mind, I haven't looked into it, but I'm like, oh, it would, it's too big of a project to do myself. I don't have tools, like, really. But maybe this is just something I've 
I'm making up. There's a lot of tools that we actually don't have for building the lathes. And so every time that we've built lathes, we've either had to just work with what we have or rent tools or borrow, borrow tools from someone else. Like you can build a lathe with a hand saw, a skill saw, a straight chisel and a mallet. And then the hardest part is going to be drilling your holes, which again, you can do by hand. Um, it's hard because you're going through a pretty thick piece of wood and it's the size of, you know, it's a hole, but that's, that's probably the hardest thing for us to do, um, is that we don't have like, uh, a power drill and that's mm-hmm. the fast way to do it. But where I learned they were all doing it with, um, augers, like hand cranked drills, which you can get, they're actually not super technical tools to make one. If you're making, you know, 10 plus at a time, then having a table saw or something is really nice. <laughs> yeah. And but where would be the best place to, like you said, there were some earlier videos, but not that great. You were saying, Oliver, these days, what is a good resource for someone who wants to do it themselves? Like, would you suggest like going to someone if possible, or like if someone says, I want to do it myself, where would you recommend they go? Like if you have somebody where you can go to to take class and build build it with somebody, I would definitely recommend that. Yeah. There's like if you can go to England, of course, there's like uh, Brookhouse Woods, uh, where they do regular uh, lathe building and bowl turning classes where you can learn that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also like plans online, like Sharif Adams has plans, uh, Paul Lave plans, and Owen Thomas has plans online. And on Jared, their websites or on YouTube, or where do you find them? I think on uh, their website, right? So you could Google build your own Paul Lave, and probably you would find some of these people with plans. Yeah. Probably, probably, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've made some YouTube videos as well. So there's the, the information is definitely exciting. Okay. That, that's my most common question on Instagram is how to build the lathe. I'm really curious out of uh, the how number many? of sent plans to, if yeah. anybody done it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe yeah. someone did it. That would be cool. <laughs> but yeah. Oli has built his lathe um, from Olvercraft. Um, because we just sent him tools. So uh-huh. I definitely. Yeah. Hey, the, just talking about, yeah, building kind of assembling lathes, building lathes for people and sending it out just made me think of a question I wanted to ask about how it is that, yeah, you're, this is your way you're making a living, both of you teaching uh, workshops and selling the, the products, I think is the main way. And and then maybe things like this come up, like someone, hey, would you build me one? Um, so there's probably opportunities come up to, to make money and, and, and make a living. But yeah, how do you kind of balance that up between deciding, yeah, I want to do this. Well, I should do this. We've got to make a living. So maybe sometimes you have to take on the, these uh, opportunities versus like, no, it's not actually want to want to do. Like, does this happen a lot or... Yeah, I'm just wondering how to balance between maybe you just want to carve a spoon, but ah, that guy ordered the lathe. How do you kind of work through that? Maybe it's not a problem, but maybe it is of like, no, we have to do this. We're making a living from this thing. 
Uh, uh, Riley. <laughs> uh, it's definitely something we can both answer in our own way. Um, yeah. We're we're very much still figuring it out. Um, I think it's something that we, money is definitely a stress in our life, but I keep trying to hold the perspective. I'm like, well, since we started last June, we haven't gone into debt. We haven't had to use our savings. So it's like, we've still, we've managed, um, not predictable in the way that it's like, okay, like I have this check or even this base amount of money coming in every month when I put an X amount of effort and work. So, um, that's kind of what we're aiming for, but the, the income side of things like in the spring, summer, definitely workshops are much easier to fill. Um, even when we went South for winter, there was just still the winter happens everywhere. Even if it's warm relative to how the people in like the North feel, considered winter and less likely to go to do things like this uh so like right now we're going into summer and feel much more optimistic and also with selling products um we sell most things in person um mm-hmm. but then out of those two means of income um as of yet and also because covid's been happening we haven't had like big opportunities for extra work Um, so it hasn't been the, like, oh, we have to take this. We've actually talked about kind of wanting some extra opportunities just that feel, it feels like kind of extra work, um, doesn't rely on our own pushing an effort maybe to like get people to sign up or trying to sell our things that can be uh, alleviating to just do something different for someone else. Uh, so that's so far hasn't been totally accurate. I think we are we're going after we're pulling on many different threads to see which one kind of takes the most hold. I like, in addition to doing craft and stuff, I also do a little bit of influencer content creation work. Um, and Oliver's going to be supporting some people in their own craft space a little bit, um, coming up and yeah, I'm curious to see how it will unfold in the next few years as more things are just opening up. And then also, uh, kind of the word getting out that we are traveling and teaching and offering these things. It's, it's a slow burn, but we're starting, we're starting to feel more like we're having people be aware of what we're doing. And so um, that feels good. And we're excited to see where that might lead in the next years. Mm-hmm. And uh, is your aim then to kind of with the workshops and things here, find some, uh stability is that the word where yeah you have your workshop kind of planned and do it regular then you would know you're doing this then or is it okay to kind of I mean you have to be when you're self-employed doing this you have to be kind of open to changing right and these opportunities as they come but sounds like that is a goal to to make it a bit more stable and have workshops and things regular and yeah, have it a bit more steady because now self-employment is kind of a must be a, quite a big step. And for you, especially Oliver, coming from like a normal job <laughs> as a nurse <laughs> to yeah, jump in and do something where yeah, you have to take responsibility. And it's hard. I'm self-employed myself with my um training and teaching and movement things. And yeah, there's definitely good sides to it, but it's definitely yeah, always not easy to to 
yeah, have that responsibility and think like, oh, I could do more. I have this a lot where I like, oh, I could do more and bigger and have this bigger influence. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but I'm doing a lot and balancing this is a interesting thing for me. Maybe it's something similar for you that you that you kind of have this thing. I could be doing more. I'm being lazy, but it's like, oh, I'm exhausted and I'm busy every day. Like, yeah, it's a funny thing. Maybe you have something some thoughts on that <laughs> self-employment yeah. yeah definitely like for me it was the the biggest shift was from like you said from a regular normal job you know, just go go there spend eight hours at work and go home or like or back to the van <laughs> in my case <laughs> and yeah it's just like you wake up in the morning or like maybe you have a slow morning and then have breakfast and it's already noon and think oh mm. i haven't done anything to work actually so I, so okay i actually need to do things to make money so if it's like either like uh, produce something or do like do whatever or like write write emails and contact people to schedule some classes or things it was yeah like i had a few hard moments in the last month where I felt like, okay, what what am I doing? So we what if we run out of money and then we don't have anything? And then what yeah, it's it it was a quite a shift. So but like Raleigh said, so we we are we we're okay. So it's 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 not a lot, but it's like always so a bit like um okay you you make it to the next month and now you make it to the next month <laughs> and so so it's okay yeah so and um like the this this teaching with this teaching tour in southern europe we also wanted to like expose ourselves that like people see us people know us and like that we yeah that people contact us more mm -hmm, mm -hmm and reach out to us and say hey do you want to teach a class here or want to come and sell your product or whatever those kind of things and this is kind of start starting to happen which is quite exciting slowly but yeah it's it's coming together i think i, I would just add one thing that like when you're working for yourself and I mean, I think this, this feeling of not doing enough could go on forever, no matter how much income or abundance or work you have, but particularly when income isn't super stable, I, I know I personally feel like I can always feel like I'm not doing enough, like you said. And even if say like you, we don't feel like we start work until some X amount of time is I know mentally my brain is working almost 24 seven or I am, I am doing things constantly, whether it's like from the moment I wake up from to the moment I go to sleep, um, which I know I need to have better boundaries for myself and my own self care. <laughs> my brain is like checking emails, responding to emails, doing social media, making things, ordering materials. Like it is. And I, I know Oliver has said this, he's like, I've never worked more in my entire life. Mm -hmm. And, but even when it's not like your income isn't really predictable, it still feels like you're not doing enough. And even sometimes people on the outside, it's like, oh, you just have to, you know, 
work hard and you have to keep going. You just have to be really passionate about it. And I'm like, dude, you have no idea how passionate about it I am or how hard I'm working. Like it looks like maybe not much, but it's, it's wild when you really are trying to make all your ends meet by just working for yourself. Um, particularly in a field that's, uh, it's not acknowledged by a lot of society or understood, or it's, it's kind of out there. Um, and less, yeah, people kind of think like, uh, there's a simple solution, like, oh, just go on Etsy, you know, because they have a friend. <laughs> yeah. That, that <laughs> on Etsy. I'm like, well, you know about your one friend that's successful on Etsy, but maybe not your 30 other acquaintances that didn't get me, <laughs> you know, and there's always kind of a, oh, you just have to work a little harder, or do this one little thing. And so uh, those are kind of some of the parts about working for ourselves. Mm. And I think that we don't talk about. Um, there's so much wonderfulness and beauty to working with something you love. And oh, it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a wild ride. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, totally. But yeah, there's a lot behind the scenes, exactly. Especially if you <clears throat> again see like the Instagram a photo short images, it looks ah, it looks idyllic, but <laughs> it's like, oh, that'd be so nice. But yeah, so much work and and yeah responsibility that can weigh heavy on your shoulders right with ah taking taking it all into your own hands yeah what are then the so some hard things what are the what are the best things about like since doing this the last few years I mean it's been an interesting last few years but about like yeah being self-employed and doing what you love what is the what is kind of the the real great things you you both love about it Um, I love that with its challenges and all, not just the like business part, but with the challenges of living in a van, I do love that what we do, we are figuring out to make it work like that we can travel, that we can move around that when someone's like, Oh, I would love to, you know, they have some fantasy about visiting some destination and their perspective of me is that I can talk about being like, oh, I want to go to oh this other place. And like, we're just going to do it. Like, there's no not having that as like a real barrier in our mind. Like, oh, we'll just drive our van with all of our workshop. And heck, like if we wanted to, we could say, hey, we're going to go to um, Greece for all of next winter. And we're just going to do it. And we're going to figure it out. And like the actual going isn't that's not like the hurdle for us. And that I'd have to say is it's a huge gift that sometimes I can definitely take advantage of. Um, but it also reflects the opposite of having envy for people with houses and workshops and things like that too. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but that's just, I, I love that I can, uh, you know, I can get wood anywhere. So, um, mostly. Except from Southern Spain. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I can get wood anywhere for bulls. It's definitely, but being able to work, um, from our vehicle house is uh, a huge highlight of what we do. And that was always like, was that right at the start when you both kind of came together and met, was that always a big part of the plan to like have this van live out of the van and travel? Was that very clear as a goal? 
I mean, once it, once it came up as an idea, it made a lot of sense because we were traveling from California to Germany and paying for rent really just stopped making sense. So the van idea, once it happened and was seated, we were pretty fast to jump onto it. So yes and no. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of expanded from there. Yeah, I didn't. I don't really know when we came came to it. I was like, hey, we should. I mean, right when we met, you, you said something like, "Hey, I want to travel through through the states and want to come with me or something, something like that." And so it was always so like in in the background this conversation about living in a van, kind of. Yeah. But yeah, but but yeah, then we just we just came to it. And, yeah, it it just makes sense. So. Mm -hmm. Also, with this, just like um, flying back and forth between California and Germany, so it's it just doesn't make sense to pay rent for a flat, and it's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. practical reasons, but it is also, uh, I mean, how do you how do you enjoy the life? There must be some yeah good times and struggles of uh, living out of a van for people that don't know. They could probably go and yeah, see some of your. Uh, posts and, and videos about it is super fascinating for someone myself who's never done something like that um yeah <laughs> living yeah, out of a van how how is it, that it definitely it definitely looks uh, fascinating when you <laughs> look just on uh, the instagram side yeah <laughs> uh, but yeah it, of course it is challenging like same I mean, of course, if you're when you're in a flat or in a house, there can be also challenges. Or like your house can uh, also break down, or you need to do things for, for the house or for your apartment or whatever. Um, but the the beauty is definitely that we are we are flexible. Flexible. We can, like Riley said, we can go wherever we want and wherever the van is parked, we are home, and we can set everything up. But it's it's also hard, especially with our craft and like when I wake up in the morning and say, Hey, I want to turn a bowl and the lathe is not set up. Then I need to pull everything out, set it up. And it's, it's still a process to, to go there, like to come there to actually turn the bowl. And it can be sometimes well, the weather is shitty or. There's so many things that could like keep you from doing what you want to do. So. I think some people think that van life gives you all the time in the world, but actually living in a van more time of your day <laughs> because <laughs> like if you if you want to move anywhere, you have to put everything away and then take it back out. And like, you know, we have to completely make our bed almost every single day or we have to set up the workshop and put it away. Um everything just gets messy so much faster. If anything happens to your house, then you don't have your house. <laughs> so mm -hmm. there's there are huge advantages and a lot of flexibility, but I feel I spend more time. I feel like cleaning the tiny space of the van than I do if house with other people. Mm -hmm. I guess a big place <laughs> takes longer for that messiness to like ah, take over the place like i have to do something right you can kind of get away with it for a few days in a van like where you're living you yeah you're forced to do your chores and like you say make your bed i yeah. i have it like traveling i haven't traveled in a bus or van but like camping and exactly as you say like packing in your stuff and the tent yeah it's exhausting and was never something i kind of clicked with living in a in a very small space but i'm wondering like 
then yeah for me it was exhausting like traveling and new places and new people and putting up and down the the tent I can imagine but do you feel like you can really you are at home in the van and you can rest and ah or yeah yeah I would say yeah yeah definitely it's also when like people offer us um to stay in their house mm -hmm. <laughs> we sometimes say no because like first of all like their bed might be not that comfortable like our bed in the van <laughs> and then like you said it's quite exhausting if you have to move all your stuff out of the van into the house and when mm -hmm. you just stay there for one or two nights it's not really worth it and i rather sleep in that driveway and stay in the van <laughs> Do they have like okay do you have a really nice bathtub <laughs> like we it's more like we want to be like okay can we use your kitchen and your bathroom we would so much prefer that than using someone's bedroom because exactly it's like it is our safe space and our house and the beauty of being in a van is that you like pull up and park somewhere and before you open the windows like you are home you're in yeah. your space and then you open windows and it's a different backyard but like definitely like especially when we arrive places at night and you wake up it's like you wake home and my or wake up and my first thought is like i'm home but then it's like wait where are we parked when <laughs> 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 we've stayed somewhere for weeks it's like wait where are we where what's right outside right now <laughs> but that's it's quite like, cool too right like yeah arriving at night i've had that a few times and then waking up and truly seeing like getting kind of hit with whoa where are we like look at this place where we've landed up yeah. huh? that's yeah. happened a bunch yeah you must have visited some beautiful places you know as we're saying that i realized another a, a difference in traveling in a van is at least personally it feels it feels much less like traveling because it's so much slower there isn't like you've flown to a new place where you know the entire ecology looks different and the people are speaking a different language and the food tastes different. Like you mm -hmm. move through land so much slower, even though driving is still quite fast, but you're moving so much slower. So there's, you do, or I have definitely lost some of that. Like, Oh my God, I'm in vacation. I'm in a new place. I would say that I actually crave the kind of vacation where I arrive somewhere and I don't have to have anything of my own stuff it's not my workspace mm -hmm. like you're in a van you're both traveling but also not you're still very much in your house with all your shit and all of your you know mm -hmm. for us all work um so again i think there that's just a fantasy also of van life it's like suddenly you're just like arriving at some mountain view it's like no you actually worked your butt off to get there <laughs> it's much mm -hmm. less there's, it's still majestic, but there's almost mm -hmm. a little bit less of that because you're slowly, 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 slowly building up. <laughs> and you probably drove some pretty horrible roads up there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so, yeah, you do get that, still that kind of, yeah, longing to, yeah, disconnect from it and have a, let's say, normal holiday away. Yeah. 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 That's also yeah. what we, um, I think on this tour, like we realized, I think it was in Italy where we realized um, we need to move slower because mm -hmm. we always like stood just like for one or two days somewhere and kept going and like, and we enjoyed it so much more like to arrive at a place and stay there for a week. 
or mm-hmm. two weeks. Like I think the longest was like almost three weeks or three and a half weeks even. I don't yeah. know. Um, yeah, and this this is more the thing we want to do. That's more our pace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, slowing it down. Yeah. I feel like we should talk about the festival a little bit for the people yeah. that Europe. Speaking of moving around and meeting people in Europe. Yeah, let's do that. You're you're organizing a festival, uh, which I think uh, is this going to be the second year Von Hand Festival. How do you yes. pronounce that? Yes, exactly, Von Hand Festival. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So this would be the second year it's happening. For um, anybody, yeah, tell us a bit about it and how you came up with the idea. Um, why there? And yeah, what what can people if they come? What will be happening there? So, um, okay, so f- from the very beginning, I would say, um, I I wish that there was something like that in Germany. Like I went to the uh, the Borgers Ball in England and then later to the Ball Gathering at Brookhouse Woods. And I thought like, oh my God, we need something like this in Germany so that like we don't have to go that far and let mm-hmm. like, that this because it was um, so magical for me that I wanted other people to experience how amazing that is. So, so we dreamt of doing something like this in Germany as well. So, and then when um, then I met um, Daniel, he contacted me uh, on Instagram and did a class with me at Turning, and we were chatting about that, and then um, we were there. Uh, at Daniel's again with together with Raleigh and we just talked about it again and then we Raleigh just said well let's just set a date just set a date and then we just we just do it we we figured out somehow and yeah then it started with the idea basically and then Mm -hmm. another person coming along and Daniel um, uh, is building um, wooden playgrounds so he has a bunch of big machines and uh, material and all those things a big workshop so suddenly that uh, that idea uh, became so much more realistic and yeah so and he is from the area Schwäbisch Hall where it's happening again this year and yeah that's why uh, this is the location and so mm-hmm. Yeah. Powerful setting date mindset. That's always one way to get things happening, eh? Set the date and then it's like, <laughs> okay, now we gotta do stuff. Exactly. <laughs> people exactly. are organized. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Good idea. And we uh-huh. had initially um uh oh I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna call you out, but Oliver was like, I don't are we gonna be able to get enough people there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we could we could list maybe 10 to 20 like stretching to 20 people that like either we know or we've seen on instagram that maybe do some kind of like green woodwork or spoon carving in germany or um switzerland and austria and so we definitely we like messaged all of those people right away um yourself included <laughs> mm-hmm. and shared interest and um 
unfortunately the first year we had to change the date because of COVID. Um, so if, so some people had to cancel, but overall we were aiming to have at least 40 participants and we had, I think about 60 people sign up plus instructors, but then 12, 15 people had to cancel. Uh, so it was, it was abundant. Like it was really amazing to see like names starting to come in that we didn't know. Um, and it really felt, really felt wanted by the people that we did reach. And so it's really exciting this year to feel like we'll have a larger group. Um, we hope, uh, and we're offering more crafts that it's not just woodwork. So, oh, and also last year we had some additional crafts, but we're trying to expand, expand it into just crafts that we do by hand. Mm -hmm. So like this year we have all sorts of woodworking, carving and turning and, uh, stool making. And then we also have blacksmithing both for some tools and, um, a cutlery class and some kind of introductory blacksmithing workshops. And we have some fiber workshops. We have um, uh, some of the people that we met in France are going to drive over their bread oven and do some bread making classes. We have somebody that's going to come and do some dyeing workshops, um, some metal working with uh, Georg is going to do some metal forming. Uh, is there anything I'm missing other than the specifics of the workshops, but there's a, a wide variety of different mm -hmm. crafts. Cause we really want it to be. Yeah. A, just a time for community to come around, around working with your hands. And uh, we also, we want it to be international, meaning that it's at least kind of a hub spot for mainland Europe, because there's so much that goes on in England and there is a few gatherings um, with a similar approach um, in a few other countries, but most of them are more specific, like being just or mostly spoons or something like that. Okay. Uh, so that's a bit of our intention. And last year we had the setup of it having like a pre-fest portion and then a weekend or like a main festival portion. And we're experimenting so far successfully um, with having it just be a open week-long event um, where you can um, come for the whole week or you can come for just the weekend or a singular day but so far most people have just signed up for the whole week mm -hmm. um, which is really nice and you don't have to take any workshops you could take a workshop every single day if you'd like um, but it's it's like about the community space the people are gathering and sharing skills and crafts yeah wow cool that sounds really great yeah, I love the idea of making it more broad too for people like uh, in interested interested in any one of these fields to just have the chance to like delve into that and try this and that. I think that's really cool and something yeah for me sounds super exciting who's just been more or less like carving spoons for me would have still this but when I see people you and others like bowls and chairs and brooms and yeah I'm like oh I want to try all this stuff and this just opens it right up for people. Yeah, that yeah. sounds really cool. So where, if people want to like uh, see more about it, would the best place to go to your Instagram or to the website directly? Um, I mean, the website directly is probably the easiest way to read about it. There's all of the information on the website is both in German and English. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's fairly easy to navigate to be able to find that. Um, like at the, if you go to the main website, that first page is in German, but there's a link right at the top that says English site here mm-hmm. and anybody that doesn't speak German. Um, and so that's just fondhandfestival.com and fawn with a V if you don't speak German. <laughs> um, we attach it or put it out and it's the same thing on Instagram. We've just put up a almost, I think about 90% of our workshops that we have scheduled are up there. Um, yeah. And we'll ideally get the rest of them up this week. Um, but all the tickets are available and you can buy your ticket and sign up for workshops later. But um, yeah, there's, it's really exciting. It's, it was such like, it's, it, it can be easy to worry about like, oh my gosh, we're putting this thing together. One concern is like, is, are people going to like it? Is it going to work? And then also like, who the heck is going to show up to this thing? Cause we don't know these people and having <laughs> the that showed up, it felt like, it felt like I chose the people, even though we didn't like the right people came. And it was just so wonderful. Like they were doing things on their own that we would have liked to seed or support happening. Like even just the way that we gathered around the fire at night. Um, one of our instructors this year, like last year, you know, he's like, he pulls out his guitar, he pulls out music books and people are jumping in. Other people are having conversations. Some people are cooking over the fire. It was just like all the elements that, um, so in some spaces you have to encourage people to do people were just there and ready to do it as if it was like, it didn't feel like the first year it felt like yeah. it was normal to do this uh-huh. and that it feels like an anchor now in our entire year. Like it feels like something, no matter where we live, cause we're not really sure what country we'll live in where, wherever we live, we want to come back to this every year. And, uh, it just means a lot to feel like that's can become a, a hub. Yeah, yeah, really, yeah, really exciting. And people, uh, just so I can get it, imagine it better in my mind, uh, it's out there a bit in the countryside. Would people, uh, they sleep as they like in vans or tents, uh, accommodation? Is that the main uh, way people will stay? We, uh, vans or tents are both um, easily, uh, easy to do at the gathering. Yeah. Um, it's also, you don't also have to come with a car. There's a bus that comes up to right outside of the venue, which is really nice. We had a few people that lived locally, um, that came and went every single day, either by bike or by bus and, or car. Um, and technically if you, if somebody didn't want to stay on site, there's town with accommodation and stuff 15 minutes away or less. Mm-hmm. So it's not, super isolated in the middle of nowhere but um most people were camping yeah i mean yeah like you say it's like uh that could be a big part of it for people a big nice part of it right meeting people and hanging out after the workshops in between and yeah just a real festival vibe like you say which you enjoyed yourself already yeah exactly that was also the reason why we wanted to do it for a whole week that you actually can go there and and get bored or like you you don't have to you don't have to do something every day you can also just yeah. hang out hang out with people and chat with people or just go for a nice walk through the woods it's a gorgeous area it's a nice valley and it's green in the forest and there's a little creek and it's it's really it's really magical so and 
yeah just just come there and hang out so you don't you don't have to do anything just being there in this environment is already magical yeah. <laughs> i i agree with you and yet i'd change the one word i don't actually anticipate people getting bored it's more like they they could get tired and take a day off oh, tired yeah okay <laughs> need a holiday afterwards <laughs> yeah oh, that was exhausting get bored really <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah but i, I mean that's get bored. how everyone can kind of yeah make it and attend it as they like you know do everything and talk to everyone or kind of yeah withdraw that's the nice thing about the longer time period you have the chance yeah. to choose and yeah yeah it sounds really awesome i probably more than likely will uh will be there which i'm really excited about um yeah, yeah. <laughs> now that sounds really cool and something i'd love to do as i still haven't had so much interaction with uh yeah with people makers and things so it's an awesome chance for me and anyone else that wants to join. Cool. I'm excited. Um, yeah, cool. I don't know. Then we've been talking for a while. I don't know if there's something else we haven't we haven't touched on, I'm just thinking, but otherwise, yeah, I would just say to people, encourage go go follow your work, see what you're doing, check out this festival for sure. There'll be a lot of people there and a lot of uh yeah, chance to to meet people and have a good time after what's been lacking for a lot of people in the last years. I think it'll be really cool. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean, you definitely learn something just from being there. You don't have to like even if you don't join any workshops, like just the connection to people with the same interest, and you can hang out with people and carve a spoon outside of a workshop or something and learn a lot about techniques or, or whatever or even chat about life mm -hmm. so yeah it's really amazing mm -hmm. yeah cool is there anything else you would like to i don't know say talk about ask otherwise yeah i would just say yeah it's been really cool to see you both again and yeah, i look forward to seeing you again the latest yeah. at, the, at the festival yeah yeah, me too. <laughs> I think so. I've really enjoyed this. And I just, yeah, talking about it makes me really excited to be um, both for workshops and the gathering. I just, I really love once we get to the moment of like there doing the craft and sharing it with other people, it's really fulfilling. So it makes me happy to think about. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Okay, then. Then we'll leave it at that. Maybe we can do a, another follow-up after the festival. That would be quite cool to do, to talk about it. I'm sure there'll be lots Maybe of stuff to talk about. You could record an episode at the festival. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be, yeah, true ideas. Now you've already, like, opened my horizons to multiple guests. And, uh, yeah, in person. Wow. I mean, the possibilities are endless. It's just at the festival with everybody there in one place. <laughs> just passing around a microphone, like, hey, <laughs> like, exactly, be yeah, <laughs> be interesting. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's true. There will be some, yeah, some people with a lot of knowledge and uh, and jokes and uh, interesting conversations. I'm sure I'll think about this some more. Yeah, yeah, sure. Cool. Okay, then. Mm. Thanks a lot for joining me from germany when do you guys get to 
see each other again. Maybe that's what are your plans for the next months or so? We will be back together um, on Oliver's birthday in Sweden on June 10th as I mm -hmm. fly back to Sweden and he'll meet us there. And we're going to be teaching some workshops up in Sweden, doing a month long artist residency there as well. Um, we, we really, we have a love affair with Sweden. We love it a lot. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So meeting in Sweden. Yeah. That's where you were heading to uh, when you stayed here in Hamburg, you were heading to Sweden. So yeah, special place for you both. Cool. Oh, that's going to be nice for you guys to reunite, see each other. <laughs> so yeah. Always. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Then thank you very much, both of you. And yep, we'll be in touch. Have a good day. Have a good evening, Oliver. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Until next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode. If you would like to see the work and follow Riley or Oliver, you can do so by finding them on Instagram. For Riley, it's morganreilly.c and Oliver Klutzek. They also have a joint account where they share their work and their adventures at Wildcrafted Workshop. I'm also on Instagram at Root Spoons. Thanks very much and happy carving. <laughs>